Hello, this is Dwayne Perry. I'm the team leader for Adult Explore the Bible, and I want to take a few moments to share with you an overview of Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, the books that we'll be examining in Explore the Bible Adults in the fall of 2021. Paul has already appeared to Felix, he's appeared before Festus, and he's appeared before King Agrippa. He's made his appeal to Caesar, and he has survived the shipwreck, and he is now under house arrest in Rome. The year's around AD 60. He's going to be sitting there in Rome waiting for the opportunity to make his appeal to Caesar. It's going to be about two years of time before he actually gets to make that appeal while he's in Rome. The church in Philippi receives word of Paul's imprisonment. So they respond by sending Epaphroditus with an offering for the apostle. And that's not unusual. It's not the first time this group of believers had supported Paul with an offering. In fact, in Philippians 4, 15 through 16, he points to a time when they had helped him when he was in Thessalonica, providing financial help for them. So let's back up a little bit and think about how Paul and the Philippian church are connected. Philippi was located uh, in a major east-west highway that ran through what is now northern Greece. Paul was on his second missionary journey, and he had a dream while in Troad, what we call the Macedonian call, and that's in Acts 16. In his vision, Paul saw a man of Macedonia begging him to bring the gospel there. The apostle responded and handed to Philippi. Most scholars date that around A.D. 51. The result of his time there was the establishing of a primarily Gentile church, which was also the first Christian church planted in Europe. When Paul first arrived in Philippi, he met with a group of women who were gathered outside the city gates on the Sabbath for prayer. In that group was a woman named Lydia, who was a dealer of purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. Paul led her to faith in Christ and started a church in her home. Paul's ministry in Philippi was cut short by a disturbance over a slave girl out of whom Paul had exercised the spirit. Paul and Silas were beaten and imprisoned overnight. However, that night in jail was significant. An earthquake opened the prison doors where Paul and Silas had been detained, but yet they did not escape. The jailer, who had likely heard his two prisoners praying and singing that night, asked the apostle a very simple question. What must I do to be saved? The jailer and his family all believed in Jesus. This background may be one reason Paul included his note in his letter to the Philippians that the imperial guard had heard about Jesus. We find that note in Philippians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul and Silas would leave the town the next day, but they continued to stay in contact with his church. Toward the end of Paul's third missionary journey, he would visit Philippi again, and that's recorded in Acts 20. So here's Paul in prison, and Epaphroditus delivers the offering that's been gathered by the Philippian believers. While in Rome, Epaphroditus becomes seriously ill. News of his sickness makes its way back to Philippi, 
And you can only imagine how that news impacted the church who had sent him there in the first place. Eventually, Epaphroditus recovers. Paul decides to send him back to Philippi, knowing that seeing him again would bring relief and joy to the church. Paul also saw this as an opportunity to send a letter which served as a thank you note for their gift. Before expressing his gratitude, the apostle encouraged the church to remain united, and he warned them against certain Jewish legalists who were promoting external religious practices. In doing so, Paul emphasized the truth of justification by faith alone in Christ. This letter to the Philippians appears to be the first letter Paul wrote during those two years in house arrest. Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon would follow. Ephesians and Colossians have similar content and wording. And many of the people who sent greetings to the Colossians are also mentioned in the letter Philemon. The city of Colossae was located on the Lycus River in modern Turkey, about 100 miles east of the city of Ephesus. Colossae was part of a tri-city area, which included Laodicea and Hierapolis. Epaphras probably started the church in Colossae during Paul's third missionary journey, while Paul was ministering in Ephesus. At some point during his house arrest, Epaphras arrived in Rome and connected with Paul in prison. Now, Paul grouped the Colossians and the Laodiceans with other believers who had never met him in person in his letter to the Colossians. We find that in chapter 2, verse 1. The apostle also apparently wrote a letter to the church at Laodicea and instructed the church at Colossae to exchange letters with them. This is noted in chapter 4, verse 16. The churches at Philippi and Colossae were both dealing with conflicts created by false teachers and other opponents. The church at Philippi had experienced internal conflict fostered by a disagreement between two church members. Paul also noted people who required Jewish circumcision and those who were enemies of the cross and focused on earthly rather than heavenly things. At that same time, Paul had been experiencing conflict in Rome from those who were preaching the gospel with the hope of causing problems for Paul. Apparently, the church in Philippi had been experiencing some of the same issues that plagued Paul in Rome. That caused fear among some of the believers. Paul pointed out that suffering for the gospel was a gift granted to believers by God. These problems faced by the church placed them at risk of becoming disjointed. So throughout the letter, Paul urged the believers to adopt an attitude of humility and to seek unity as seen in the example of Christ. The solution to the issues that created conflict was for the believers to contend together for the faith of the gospel, living lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. Since Paul had not visited Colossae, he would have learned about the false teachers most likely from Epaphras. While Paul did not tell the specifics of what the false teachers were saying, he left hints throughout the letter. He called out their philosophy and any empty deceit that was based on tradition and elements of the world. He also mentioned regulations related to food and drink, the observance of festivals, new moons and the Sabbath, abstaining from indulgences, the worship of angels, and the need for visions. These false teachers 
were presenting a mixture of Jewish and pagan ideas stirred in with some Christian thought. The primary fault of the false teachers was that they did not focus on Christ. The church apparently had held firm to its initial faith in Christ. However, Paul feared that they might yet be seduced by these false teachers. He wrote his letter to encourage the believers to remain true to Christ and to understand that in Christ, they had all they needed to thrive in their faith and ministries. Paul consistently resisted any teaching that did not attribute to Christ his unique place as the only Lord and Savior of the church. In fact, in both Philippians and in Colossians, we find descriptions of the nature of Christ, especially his deity. We see this in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, and Colossians 1, 15 through 20. The depiction of Christ in these passages serve as anchors for the unity that the Philippians needed and the proper stance from which the Colossians could stand against the false teachers. Now, Paul's letter to Philemon is directed not to a church, but to specific individuals, Philemon, Aphia, and Archippus. The relationship with these, with these three people is unclear. Obviously, Philemon was a primary recipient, and some have suggested that the other two were Philemon's wife and his son. The title given to Archippus, our fellow soldier in Philemon verse 2, was the same title given to Epaphrodites in Philippians 2.25. Archippus is also mentioned in the letter to the Colossians, where the church was to encourage him in his assigned task. It is significant to note that in his greeting, Paul included the church that meets in your home when addressing Philemon. The matter Paul addressed in this letter was not just between Philemon and Onesimus. It affected the entire church. Onesimus left Philemon and at some point met Paul who led him to faith in Christ. Paul sought to reconcile the two men and to lead Philemon to view Onesimus as a brother in Christ. The underlying message of Paul's appeal on behalf of Onesimus is that the gospel is greater than social distinctions since fellow Christians are co-equal members of the same spiritual family. This letter is in essence a personal plea, one Christian to another, to extend grace. As a demonstration of that grace, the apostle also pledged to personally repay any debts incurred by Onesimus. These three letters give us a glimpse into the lives of believers in these two early churches. Paul's concern for unity, a doctrinal integrity centered on the person of Christ, and the demonstrating of godly character in all areas, especially our relationship with others, provides us a model for our own lives and for our churches. In Philippians 1.5, we find Paul calling the Philippians his partners in the gospel. Paul also challenged Philemon to consider him a partner when making his appeal on behalf of Onesimus in verse 17. By extension, this partnership included the church that met in Philemon's home in Colossae. Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon were all written as Paul sat in Rome waiting to appear before Caesar. We can assume this idea of partners was an important thing to Paul as he said in house arrest. 
Paul knew he was not alone in taking his stand with Christ. There were other partners standing with him, seeking to live Christ-honoring lives in their locations. Paul represented those believers while inside the walls of that Roman house, while they represented him outside those walls. They expected each other to represent Christ well in word and in deed, with Paul expressing the joy he found in their partnership. Our shared partnership in the gospel should impact how we live our lives, how we treat others as believers, and a high moral standard should be obvious to all. Our prayer is that as we study Paul's letters to the Philippians, Colossians, and the Philemon, we will gain a deeper appreciation of the partnership we share in Christ.